The reading for tonight is from Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 15. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain, and she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden. And I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain, so that no one finding him would slay him. The word of the Lord. A mantle, M-A-N-T-E-L, is the shelf thingy on a fireplace. A mantle, M-A-N-T-L-E, is a cloak. One you put things on, and the other is a thing you put on. But a mantle, E-L, is more than just a garment or a cloak. A mantle is a symbol, a symbol of a mission, a way, a way which one is called to follow, sometimes divinely. It is a way one must live out, a core mission taken on from one character or person to another, from one's father or mother or mentor. A mantle is taken up. Taking up the mantle in the online list of comic book tropes is to be distinguished from taking up the sword. Taking up the sword is different in it that it implies the protagonist had time to actually say something along the lines of, I'm dying, please take my MacGuffin to his successor. It is an example that came on the website. I don't know what his MacGuffin is. Um, uh, but whereas taking up a mantle, the character has to take the initiative or be shown what it is. 
or shown what they have to do, but ultimately it is something they have to decide to take up themselves. So taking up the mantle, surprisingly, did not originate with comic books, but um, comes from a much more colorful collection of books, the Bible. And what a mantle we have here. A mantle we have here, it's a powerful mantle. This whole mantle thing starts out with Elijah. It's Elijah's mantle, the cloak of Elijah. Elijah is, is like a major prophet of Yahweh who fights against the prophets of ba- Baal, 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 and Baal's priestesses, and generally everything Baalish. Or would it be Baalsy? <laughs> Wait, I'm not saying that right. Um, anyway, he had a mantle, a cloak. Um, now, this is the first time we encounter Elijah's mantle. And it's not being taken up, it's actually being put on or placed. You can place a mantle as well as take up a mantle. And it's placed on the shoulders of Elisha, uh, Elijah's um, chosen, I guess, companion and eventual replacement. So Elisha is plowing, he's out in the fields on his family farm, and he's got 12 yoke of oxen, and he's driving one of them. And Elisha just kind of comes up and throws the cloak, the mantle, on Elisha. And immediately, Elisha just like jumps off his oxen and heads out after Elijah. But then he just has a pause and says, wait just one minute. Let me just go back and kiss my mom and dad goodbye, and then I'll come back to you. So Elijah says, sure, go. So Elisha runs back, takes all his oxen, slaughters them all, smashes up all his plowing equipment, starts a fire, cooks all the oxen, feeds everybody he can, and then leaves to follow and become the servant Elisha. That is a powerful mantle. Makes people crazy. So evidently, time goes on, and evidently, um, Elisha gives Elijah back his mantle, because many years later, after the cloaked prophet and his sidekick have had many adventures, one day they walk to the River Jordan, and Elijah takes off his mantle, his cloak, and he rolls it up, and he strikes the river with it, And the river parts, and Elijah and Elisha cross over to the other side. Now, when they get there, there's a crazy whirlwind. A giant flaming chariot comes down, sweeps up Elijah, and takes him off to the whirlwind, never to be seen again. But floating down to the ground is his mantle. It falls off. And guess what? Elisha takes up his mantle, and he rolls it up like his mentor did, and he strikes the River Jordan, and, um, well, let me just do it in the King James. It's a little bit better. He took the mantle of Elisha that fell from him and smote the waters and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elijah walked on. It's a little bit more dramatic. It is a little comic booky, I think. Um, And thusly, Elisha takes on the calling of Elijah, not just his clothes, but his mission. And that is the origin of the term and its meaning, to take up one's mantle. So, this story we have for tonight, it's, it's not fair. I mean, the one thing people always think about the story is they always leave it going like, what? 
It's not fair. I mean, it doesn't seem fair to anyone in the, in the whole story. Not the one I just told, but the one about Cain and Abel and God and the, you know, killing and the, it just doesn't make anybody look good. It does a disservice to everybody involved. It does not make God look good at all. I mean, we're just four chapters into the Bible, right? And we're not completely what, sure what kind of God we have so far. And after the whole chapter three where they, God throws Adam and Eve out of the garden and then this part right here, I'm guessing the kind of God that we might be getting might be, I don't know, moody and capricious might be getting some votes, I think. I mean, this is God. If you're Cain, too, I mean, you can surely understand why he's a little bit upset. He's a little bit upset here. Um, but however upset you are, to commit the first murder in existence, it just looks bad. And especially if it's your brother, and especially given that there are only like four people at that point, he wipes out like a quarter of the population. It just it doesn't look good for him. And, you know, I guess we're so able. I mean, what did he do? Nothing. I mean, he herded some sheep and then he dies. There's so much in this story and it operates on so many different levels. It's on both conscious levels and unconscious levels. I mean, in some ways it seems like to reveal its truth that it's better maybe just to tell the story or just hear the story as much as it would be to like benefit from examining and explaining it all. Like there are some stories that maybe seem so, I don't know, maybe a rational explanation is not necessarily the best way of understanding it. Maybe there's another way of processing these ancient enigmas and presumptions. There's so much here. Creation followed by expulsion, shortly after that, the first murder of a brother. Something about these things, we can like feel that there's some truth in there, but we can't quite explain what it is or why. Well, okay, look at this. Adam and Eve, they're kicked out of the garden, but then right after that, being four, um, Adam and Eve, um, Adam knew his wife intimately, and they conceived and bore Cain. And she says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. It has been created. When she says that, I've, na I've, this man, I've had a child named Cain. He's a, she's then explaining what Cain means when she says, a gift from the Lord. I've gotten him from the Lord. That's what Cain means, a gift from the Lord. And again, he bore his um, she bore his brother Abel. Then no explanation of what Abel even means, just moves right on, which is understandable because Cain is the firstborn child, the important one, right? And Abel, nothing. As a matter of fact, um, his main name means nothing. No, it's not that it doesn't mean anything. It means nothing, nothingness. Abel means nothingness, vapor. Like, so clearly, he's not at all important. So Cain assuming that he's the firstborn, that he is the gift from God. He's not nothing. He's, not, he's more than something even. He's the gift from God. And he is the one to take up the mantle of his father. His father, who started out taking care of the animals, that was the first thing God did was give Adam that job, taking care of the animals, right, naming them. And then after the whole snake debacle and everything, um, 
he took that job away from him. And God said, no, you will go till the soil now by the sweat of your brow. And that firstborn son takes up the punishment and the mantle of his father, and he plows those fields. He, by the sweat of his brow, he plows those fields and he harvests those fields. He does what his father was told to do. He's a good son. Abel, he decides to go back to the animal thing just on his own. He tends sheep. He goes and he said, you're not supposed to be doing that. Um, but he just decides, I guess, on his own that he's going to go work back with the animals again, even though God said, uh, no, don't do that anymore. And so, I don't know what, Cain probably feels bad for Abel, you know? So it's, he, it's harvest time, it's worship time. He um, harvests his fields and he brings the best fruit before the Lord. And Abel kills some sheep, his fattest sheep, and brings them before the Lord. And the Lord is just like, what is this? You know? And he just takes that, that meat, and it, it says, like, what in the um, translation, that he regarded it? I think he more than regarded it. He seemed to really like it a lot. Um, and it's just not fair. You can just feel that all through the story with Cain. It's just like, it's just not fair. He did what he was supposed to do. He's the firstborn. He is the gift from God. And the Lord prefers nothing to him. The Lord chooses nothing above him. It's really quite confusing. The Lord sees that this nothingness, this vapor, or another translation is like one that can't even live, um, is disobeying what he ordered, yet he seems to be intrigued by him and pleased by him when he disobeyed this law that he set out for him. And the one that did what he was told, he just sent him back and said, ah, you know, I prefer this. And when Cain objects, the Lord pretty much says, uh, you know, look, you could, if you would do, you, you have the choice, you can do it, you're able to, to um, decide what's right. If you, want, if you wanted to please me, you could. So he's very mad. He goes off, you know, this is the famous party, lures his brother. And I don't think Abel speaks the entire time in this whole thing. Kills him. And then this is where the Lord comes and says, you know, where's your brother? This is like when he comes up on Adam and says, um, you know, where are you? As if God doesn't know. This is where we get this kind of God that we're not quite sure where, how he's going to end up to be. Because so far he's been a little bit manipulative. He's been a little bit of a trickster. The creation thing was great. But then everything after that so far, it's a little bit you don't know quite where you stand with this God. As a matter of fact, who made worship a competition? You know, this is a family worshiping together. They're all bringing their sacrifices. God is the one that made it a competition. Why is that? This family would have been probably perfectly happy without God around. God is the one that is always causing the problems. And if you keep reading this book, it gets worse, I'm telling you. <laughs> what is this all about? What is this all about when, 
we are given, we are handed down this tradition, this faith tradition. We're called to take up the mantle of our forefathers and mothers from this faith tradition, to take up these core beliefs, these essential understandings, this orthodoxy, if you will, the orthodoxy of the ones who've gone before us. But what if the mission or the essential understanding, the orthodoxy, is a dismantling orthodoxy, a deconstructing construction of that which we have inherited, the very thing that we are passed down, that God created and bestowed upon his creation, resists being taken up, crumbles in our hands, and then we're left to either pretend or invent or what, give up? 